0: This is Heath Pierce, and you are listening to Northern California's number one soccer specific podcast, Sacktown FC.
1: What is going on, soccer fans? And welcome to the number one soccer specific podcast in Northern California, the Sacktown FC podcast, powered by Reboot and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. Check them out today at roughneckscarves.com and raise your game. My name is Luis, and today I'm joined as usual by my co-host, John. How's it going, John? Man,
2: it's good. Uh, day one of um, the pool being uh, excavated, ran into some granite. So tomorrow they'll be uh, hopefully hammering out the last of it, but it may take more than the three hours. So I could be, could be pitching in some more uh, cash for that pool, but that's all right. We'll be, we'll be swimming hopefully by uh,
1: August, so it'll be kind of cool. And how about you, Luis? How are you, man? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, pretty excited that, you know, we got to see some Premier League come back today. So, you know, it's it's always good to to see a top soccer league uh, return. So, you know, stoked to see the rest of the leagues returning. Yeah, Awesome. So today we are joined via the Makuni Dreamline by a local
2: legend who grew up just down 99 in Modesto before taking his game north to play for the late and legendary Clive Charles. He made 100 appearances in Europe. Before returning to the United States to continue his trade in the MLS, please welcome former men's national team player Heath Pierce. Heath, how's everything going, man? Going good. Thanks for that
0: introduction. That was great. You know, I don't get a lot of those kinds of introductions, so that's amazing. Uh, I'm doing good, though. I, I, I'm uh, I'm still in California. I'm in Northern California at the moment, up in up in the Sierra Nevadas, and uh, got a couple of young kids. So it's been nice to kind of be away from from uh, where I currently live down in Los Angeles in the South Bay. Uh, to be able to let the kids run around, do some normal things, kind of have a little bit of a summertime. So yeah,
2: good. I definitely feel you. We're uh, we're running up to Sun River here in a couple of days to let the kids run loose up there and play some golf. So I definitely feel that uh that mountain kind of vibe that needs to be happening right about now.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's awesome. Sun River sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, but yeah, th- thank you for uh, joining us again, Heath. Uh, you know, I follow your career closely, as I was telling you off air too. Uh, I'm also from Modesto, so. You know, I'm really glad to to see, you know, someone from Modesto making it pro. And you're serving as an example, I think, to a lot of uh, youth players here in the area, too. So r- really great to have you on.
0: No, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you guys.
1: So let's start, you know, by asking our uh, usual question we like to ask uh, former players. Uh, how did you fall in love with the game?
0: Man, that's a great question. I, I mean, I, I fell in love with the game as a child just because it was the first sort of big group sport that you could play. And I grew up in a neighborhood in, in, in Modesto that had a lot of Mexican, Portuguese, Iranian influence. So there was a culture of soccer in my neighborhood, uh, that wasn't necessarily a culture of like good coaching or anything like that, but there was just an understanding. Soccer was part of these cultures of, of these, these kids that I was playing with. And so, uh, it was just one of these things that we enjoyed and that was sort of how I, 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 fell in love with the game initially and then uh, as I started to play at like the rec level you know I, I started to fall in love with the game more as I got like a piece of gum for scoring a goal or something like that and that makes you like things even more when you're when you're a kid or you get a piece of candy for for doing something good but yeah it was just basically playing in the park with friends it wasn't really organized it was just my my community and and the love that the community showed towards the game has obviously made me uh gravitate towards it.
2: I have to ask, was it the, was it, did you get a pack of baseball cards and then the gum that was in the baseball cards for scoring goals?
0: No, it wasn't. I wish that would have been amazing. No, it was like, you know, it was, I think, what was it called? Juicy fruit was the gum back then. Um, juicy fruit, Or no, no, it wasn't juicy fruit. It or the zebra was, stuff. Fruit, Yeah. The zebra stuff, the fruit stri- stripes or whatever. That's what stripes it was. Yeah. yeah that, that's what it was. You got like a piece, you know, and those were some crazy flavors back then. But, you know, you, and you score a goal and whatever, and. The first sort of com- not competitive, but like recreational, uh, soccer thing. It kind of triggers this whole, like, okay, you do something here. There's a reward to it. Let's, let's kind of bring these things closer together, which I remember kind of distinctly.
2: Yeah. They just opened up a cracker barrel here in, uh, Rockland. Um, and they had that gum and I bought it. My kids are like, what are you buying? I'm like, gum. They're like, what, why it's weird. <laughs> you lose flavor. I'm like, don't worry about it. Dad's going to take the whole pack.
0: Yeah, exactly. You don't need any of this. You know, it's not from now, you know. They've 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 probably gotten better at making uh, gum on some level. Uh but not, that, was, not for that to, stuff. to me it, you you don't like even when I see that, when I see Big League Chew, I don't taste it because of it the flavor anymore. I taste it because it takes me back, you know. It's nostalgia. And it's probably yeah. a lot, cal- lot less calories than other things you could be consuming, so.
2: I don't know. Rot my teeth out, man, on on Big League Chew. Just get that that little wad in the corner of your mouth and just stick another side, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. you're good.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: So, Where in Modesto did, did you grow up in?
0: Uh, I grew up on the east side of Modesto. So mm-hmm. over by uh, Lakewood Elementary School off of Scenic mm-hmm. and 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 Surrey um, towards the east side of town where, you know, over towards Johansson High School uh, mm-hmm. District. So over on the east side heading towards sort of series and, and heading out towards the, you know, Turlock direction. So kind of southeast side of town. Um, but yeah, that's where I, I spent most of, I, I lived in uh, Portland, Oregon for three years when I was a kid also, but you know, had was born and raised in Modesto, went to Portland, came back to Modesto again until I sort of started my, my soccer journey.
2: Yeah. So speaking about Portland, what was it like, uh, playing for Clive Charles? I followed his career as one of the only coaches who I think could multitask and do men's and women's at the same time. But what was it like to, to have an influence like, like Clive?
0: it was it was a gift you know it was g- going back to that period for me i was 16 i was playing kind of French player in the youth national team with the u17s broke my leg the year before my my senior year was in residency uh in bradenton at img academy and kind of lost all the opportunities kind of disappeared and and clive took me on on a you know he called up john ellinger and said i'm looking for a defender i wasn't a defender at that point he said this is a good kid take him and and Clive took me in, and I was a terrible defender when I got there. And the way Clive worked is so rare that he—he's—he was on that level of uh, kind of mythical figures of of coaching, where he had a way of lighting a fire under you. He could be what felt like so mean at the time uh, in terms of how he delivered messages to you, but it always had a lesson, and it always delivered right. Whereas you go through these things where coaches want to be that, where it's like I'm going to be the tough guy, and they. They go after you and, and there's, no, there's no follow-up. There's no learning. It's just like a, you, you just put a wall up and that's it. And Clive had an ability to, he knew when to hug you, when when to yell at you, and when to really build you. And it, it taught me a lot, not just about the game, because I owe my career to him. He's the one that sort of prepped my mentality to go on and be, become a professional. He brought me in saying, I don't care about winning national championships. I'm here to develop you. And then when you're ready, I'm going to send you on your way. Uh, and that was different than most other programs that I had talked to at any point or coaches that I had had conversations with were like, you know, junior year, a couple of good recruiting classes, we might win a national championship. And to me, it was like, this is a step. Uh, and I wanted to win and winning's part of development. But it, my main thing was like, I want to be a pro and Clive uh, helped me do that. But he also helped me become uh, a better person because of the things I went through with Clive and, and the things that he taught me.
2: I always felt like he was the one coach who would have been probably if not one of the greatest men's national team coaches and that his ability to get younger players and develop uh, fundamentals essentially I thought that could have transferred into the to the men's le- our men's game at least
0: yeah I think that he he probably would have been the, the the men's national team coach I know he was successful with the Olympic team he you know when he when when Clyde passed away and his he had his memorial up in Portland the amount of people that I saw show up from all over the world that weren't just Portland alumni that, that, you know, you go, you go to anybody that has played under Clive and Clive is in top one or two of coaches that have played, you know, some of the best coaches in the world. Clive is one or one or two or one of their favorite ones or formative in, in, in their life as a player and as a person. And, and he just had that, he just had that ability to, to be so precise. I mean, like you said, he was the men's and women's coach, Ended up winning a national championship just before he, he passed away, which was uh, amazing to, to be part of, amazing to see. And it was just a, it was just a real honor to, to have gotten a chance uh, to, to live and play under him during a time that he was.
1: So we know you started your professional career with uh, North Zealand. Can you tell us more about what that experience was like in Denmark for you?
0: Yeah, it was, it was a great experience because I was living in central Copenhagen. Uh, everybody spoke English there. So it wasn't too big of a culture shock. There was a lot of small cultural things that you go through that coming from California where everything's more casual and laid back. And you, know, you have some in-home cultures because it's a very multicultural uh, place where I grew up. But it was very much, much more chill. And so you you went through a lot of those kind of growing pains of learning that you're in a very far away place and things like that. But uh, it was a great opportunity for me because I was able to step on the field right away when I got there, contribute to the team, develop as a player. I feel like at times, because the club was so young then and didn't have quite the talent that it has now being one of the youngest club in Europe, it I, I lacked a challenge, you know, challenging for a starting spot. Look, this is all in retrospect, obviously. But in real time, it was the perfect place to start my career, get exposure, play against bigger teams, get my debut with the national team, that sort of thing. It was just – everything just sort of lined up the right way for me to start my professional career.
2: Yeah, so during your time, you actually got the opportunity to get a call from Bruce Serena to uh, join the national team. Um, were you already in the pool, or was this kind of a call out of blue, like, hey, we we need a left back who's gonna who's going to be able to hold their own?
0: No, I mean, I, I was – you 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 read things online about who could get called up and this is back when like yanks abroad was a was like the one of the websites that everybody was going to for players abroad and things like that and and it was uh it, there was sort of rumors and stuff but it was kind of out of the blue it was my first full professional season i uh, you know I, I i arrived at the half point of the season in january went through that we survived relegation and then really established ourselves as a much better club in that, in in sort of the summer and fall uh, season and got the call up. And I I was shocked because again, when you grow up in in the U S during, during, you know, our generation, there wasn't, you didn't have a necessarily, uh, there was not enough soccer on TV to dream of playing for um, certain clubs in Europe. You know, the big thing was, Olympics and national team. That was way the way I dreamed anyway. Is like I wanted to be in the Olympics because of ODP was the thing, an Olympic development program. You want to develop to get to the Olympics and you want to play for your national team. So that was always my big, I wanted to play professional soccer, but more than anything, I wanted to play for my national team. And so when that came, it, it was like the, the a dream come true. And I've said it before, my first professional game was just sort of like, okay, this is the beginning of getting to the national team. It wasn't like I didn't feel like I made it. I didn't feel like I achieved a goal. That was a step of getting towards the ultimate goal of playing in the national team and then hopefully playing in a, in a World Cup, which ultimate, which which unfortunately didn't happen. But the journey of that was, you know, from my childhood, it felt like I had dedicated a lot of years of my life focused on getting to the national team, and it came out of the blue. And 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 even when I got called in, it was very much like, a, hey, we'll get you into training and see how you fit in with the group. And I didn't expect to 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 get. Uh, um, any minutes. And then all of a sudden it was like, Hey, you're going, you're going in. I got sent to warm up. I was like, okay, this is real. And and then ended up going in the game, subbing in for Demarcus Beasley, uh, in like the 70 something minute at Hamden park in Scotland. And yeah, it was just, it, it was like, I, I finally had, had achieved something that was this, you know, that I had set and, and built a mindset on and sacrificed to, it was like the first time that you felt like, okay, this paid off on some level.
2: Yeah, so you you were at North Shalen. You made 35 caps um, overall for the U.S. national team. And between your first uh, call and and some moves that we'll talk about with FC Dallas, you were um, signed to Hansa. What what happened with Hansa and, and that you ended up kind of in this media or this medium where you could do multiple things and eventually ended up in Dallas? And that's a different question, though.
0: Yeah. So Hansa Rostock was an interesting experience, right? This is sort of pre-social media. It was very much a tabloid driven town. I, I, I had some other opportunities in the Bundesliga, but Hansa Rostock seemed like the right move because I was very focused on like doing this, you know, step, 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 step to get to the point uh, of like maximize my career. Cause you hear all the times, like, you don't want to take a step too big. Cause then you sit on the bench, you don't develop. And I was very focused on taking those next steps. So Hansa Rostock you know, their, some of their fans' politics aside and, you know, those kinds of things, the history of the club, it had it had a lot of origins. It had, it had a newer stadium from the World Cup, and it just seemed like a great place for me to go my next step. Ended up not working out for a lot of reasons. Uh, it was the first time I felt a lack of control where I, I, I thought that I had a pretty decent self-awareness in terms of how I played and trained, things like that. And that was the first point where it was like, it doesn't matter. You know, you could have the best week or month. It's still a subjective selection by, by a coach. Whereas in Denmark, I was the clear favorite to get the start regularly. And if I had a bad game, I was far better than what the, the, the other option was. And so uh, that came with its own sort of um, things. But yeah, and, and Germany just had kind of an up and down experience and played some great games. My first game was away to Bayern Munich, things like that. Got to experience some really cool stuff. Came to the end of that era where the club kind of threw me out and said, we're only going to focus on guys who have extended contracts, players who don't have contracts are out. So we were just training with the reserve team for like the last six weeks of my second season. Uh, ended up getting an offer on the last day of the transfer window to go to Bursaspor. Uh, that's a really long story. If you guys want to hear it, I'm, I'm happy to tell it, but um, it, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's a long one. Do you, do, you, do you guys want to hear that story?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were actually wondering that, too. What happened between Versa Sport and then FC Dallas? <laughs> yeah. So
0: uh, last day, of the transfer window, I get a call from my agent. It's like, hey, got to get you on a plane to Turkey. Versa Sport wants to sign you. All the terms were agreed upon. And, and when you're, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but if you're one of the, if you're U.S. is one of the few countries, no matter where you earn your money, you've got to pay tax on it to the U.S., and it offsets at a certain point, up to like forty-four percent or thirty-eight percent, somewhere in there. I think it's thirty-eight percent. Um, anything above that, you don't pay on. So Germany was forty-plus percent tax, you know that sort of thing. So you, you, the U.S. is one of the few places where I was like, if you're a Danish player, you go play in Turkey and you negotiate a net salary, you see every penny of that. Doesn't you don't owe anything to Denmark, things like that. So we had negotiated to make sure that the the tax part of it was going to be covered because. Uh, you negotiate everything in net. And in Germany was negotiating gross, Denmark negotiating gross. So you knew what you were gonna be taking in uh, every paycheck. So we were like, okay, this uh, and the country tax on the gross side of this, this is how much I'm gonna owe to the US. Let's figure out how I can make more so that it can cover that tax bill. Before I got on the plane, get on the plane, arrive there. Guy comes up to me at the airport. Hey, are you Heath? I said, yes, we get in the car, we're driving. It's now dark. We're heading. It's the evening time. Uh, there's three ways uh, that you could traditionally get to Bursa from Istanbul. One is a ferry. There was no ferries at that point. Two is the president of the club actually has a helicopter, so you could helicopter over this waterway. Um, and the third is you have to go all the way around. Well, the helicopter wasn't available because the president wasn't around that during that period. Uh, ferries. It was too late for the ferries, so we do the drive, and it's like a three-hour drive around this like peninsula type of thing. And on the way there, uh, and I'll try to keep this short story as short as possible uh, on the way there. Th- uh, um, the agent, the guy who picked me up from the airport uh, and the driver, a guy who was just, just the driver, um, started talking and the guy started crying, bawling, hysterically bawling. And I don't know this guy. I don't know anything about him. I just know that he's sort of the intermediary for this process. Just, and he's hysterically crying and I'm sitting in the back seat, sort of like, it's dark outside. I don't know what's going on. I, they're speaking to each other in Turkish. And, you know, he turns around and tells me that his father's died. And I'm like, this, this is like something doesn't feel right. I feel so bad and this is terrible. But he's like, don't worry, we're going to, you know, figure this out. Fast forward to getting to the club. I arrived there. There's like uh, cameras live. Bursa Spor has uh, is one of the bigger fan bases in Turkey. They have their own kind of. Uh, bursa tv which is you know a 24-hour live bursa soccer television network and it's arrived there there you know i've got contract in front of me it's in turkish you know all the things that you you hear about happening in some of these um uh leagues you know the contracts in turkish and then we finally get it in english there's nothing about the tax and the conversation we had before we got there and so Fast forward to like two, three in the morning, we're like inching forward, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now it's like two o'clock in the morning. We finally get to a good point. My agent's not there, right? This is just the intermediary there. And he's at this point, he's sitting on the other side of the table and it's just me. And it's like sort of some of the guys from the board of directors. And then the agent is sitting next to them, basically looking at me being like, just take the deal. And it just had a lot of weird, you know, when you get that sort of energy where you're like, something's not right. Um, I kind of had that. It was probably some paranoia, some whatever my agent, my my real agent wasn't there. So finally we get to a, a really good place. I said, let me call my agent. One of the, one of the, um, one of the old kind of board of directors guys, old man just stands up and he's like, I don't know if I can curse on this, but he's like, F your agent. And like points at me while I'm saying that. And I was like, just calling them to do it because the deal was in a good place. So then at that point, when he says that, um, I'm like, okay, this is not how I want to start a new club. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm in the middle of, of Bursa. I don't know anybody in this room, not a single person. Like my, the agents didn't get there. None of the stuff like I, the guy who was representing me sitting on the other side of the table now. And it's just me. So I'm like, this is not the way you're supposed to start a club. So I was like, I'm, I'm done. I go back to the hotel, tell them like the deal's off. Go back to the hotel. The president's son um, or one of the one of the board of directors' son is calling me trying to negotiate with me. And I'm telling him like it's just not the way that you're supposed like this is not a respectful way to deal with somebody. Like my agent's not here. And I kind of walk him through the process. Um at this point, the agent who's with me is telling me to sign the deal for his dead father. Um and I'm like, this is a terrible thing to do. Like he's putting his, it was his father-in-law. He was putting it on me, telling me he can't go home to his wife empty-handed. You know, the father-in-law has passed away and just really throwing these things on me. You know, at this point, I'm, I don't know, 24 or 25 and, 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 you know, in, in Bursa, Turkey, and this guy is throwing these things on me. So I said, no, I, it's like, this is terrible. So wake up the next morning, go to catch the ferry, to go to the airport, uh, the ferry sold out. So now we go back to the, well, first of all, the agent was staying in the hotel too. He's late. So he makes us late to the ferry. The ferry sells out. And now we got to catch the afternoon ferry. Go back to the hotel, sitting there. Doctor comes, goes, hey, Heath Pierce, I'm here to take you for your physical. And I'm like, no one told the doctor that the deal didn't happen. So he shows up to take me to his phys- this physical. And we got to tell him the deal doesn't happen. And then a few minutes later, we really get into good terms with the club. The club's like, let's make it happen. So I'm like, okay. We end up agreeing on all the terms, all just by chance. I would have been at the airport on a flight out of there. But yeah, you've been missing yeah everything just sort of works out i'm like okay this makes sense now now it makes sense the other way let's do the deal so again i go there i you know sign the contract uh, live tv i'm holding up the scarf jersey everything like that And they're like okay great this is during ramadan so the cities are shut down during ramadan right everybody's fasting everybody's sleeping during the day most of the time and the night time everybody comes to life so like hey listen we'll come pick you up um Tonight we'll go to dinner. There's this giant open square where, you know, people are having shisha and tea and coffee and meals and whatever. It's a great place. You'll love it. So it's like seven o'clock. They're going to come get me seven o'clock rolls around. No one comes Seven thirty. No one comes eight o'clock. No one comes. I'm like, something's not right. So finally I get a knock on the door. They're like, Hey, they want to talk to you uh, downstairs. I'm staying uh, at this point. I moved out of the city hotel into the club's hotel. That's built into the sort of training complex. So no one picks me up. And I'm like, okay, this isn't, this just doesn't make any sense. So they come down, they're like speaking to me and they're like, basically the federation didn't approve of your contract. You're not going to be able to play here this year. We're very sorry. Um, And I was like, okay. And again, I'm, I'm even to this day, I'm friends with one of the guy who's actually the president's son. Now the son of the president now went to UCLA and I've kept in touch with him. I'm still wondering what happened, you know, whether the federation didn't approve whether that they did the contract in the live TV to save face for the fans because they had announced the deal already, whatever it was, something was off. And so I get up again the next morning, I go out with him that night. People are telling me, congratulations, welcome to the club, you know, like basically like, you know, kissing baby and and signing autographs type of moment. It I mean, it's one of the bigger clubs Mm -hmm. in, in, in Turkey in terms of fan bases. Everybody knew everybody in the city knew who I was immediately. And obviously I'm with, the, the board of directors and very important influential people in the city. So they know who I am. They're shaking my hand saying, congrats, we're happy to have you a very friendly environment. And it's places packed thousands of people in this place. Um, and deal doesn't happen. And, uh, I get up the next morning and I fly back to, to Germany. And that's when, you know, I had some options in England, but again, those were like, deeper in the roster I was very focused on world cup world cup world cup I need to be playing Bob Bradley once people that are playing significant minutes so it's like that's not the right deal for me at this point in my career you know that'll come later sort of that you know better money but less opportunity to play probably um, and then the MLS thing kind of came up and we negotiated it to a point where you know we were really we were I was really happy with that being the next step and ended up signing with, with the league and FC Dallas was at the top of the allocation order. So they were, a, they, they took me, um, and that's how I got to MLS.
2: Yeah. So F, FC Dallas was kind of a, a young up and coming team. When you joined too, they had, uh, O'Shea and Jeff Cunningham was your guys' uh, attacking forward who was scoring goals left and right. So there was, mm-hmm. there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, good momentum for that team, what was it like to play with that group of guys? Um, you know, I've heard the word savages thrown out here and yes. there for you guys, and to the point where you, and you can walk us through this if you want. You guys bought a limo to, uh, you know, get you guys around town because of uh, the savages, as Aiko Parra calls it. Um, commentary.
0: Yeah, so that group was a special group because we had a number of young guys who were earning good livings for the time in major league soccer to be able to take care of the larger group of the team when we wanted to get together for a dinner or or a night, a night on out on the town and that sort of thing. And, you know, this is everyone from, you know, you look at that roster and it's Eric Alexander, it's Dax McCarty, it's Eric Avila, Breck Shea. You know, we had a guy, Milton Rodriguez, Daniel Hernandez was our, was our holding midfielder. We had uh, Kevin Hartman and, and Dario Sala in goal. Uh, we had just so much of a mix of youth and experience that it just had really uh, – and then, um, uh, you know, it was just a really good uh, mix of players. And then David Ferreira, who ends up being MVP that year, uh, you know, we were 10 points after 10 games, and we kind of came together, and none of us really liked Shellis' coaching style, uh, Shellis Heineman, uh, who was the head coach at the time. But we came together, and we were like – we just, together or we can fall apart. And 10 points after 10 games, we were all frustrated. We kind of just just like, let's rally together. It doesn't really matter what happens in training. This is this is for us. And so we went on a run where we were unbeaten from that point until the last game of the season. We set a bunch of records in the league. And as we were doing that, we started to go out more, right? So every time we got that win, we were like, let's go out. And so we started going out. And you know, as we went 17 games unbeaten that year and only four losses in the season, it was a rallying point. It was a joke in the locker room of like, let's just get the win so we can go out. Because if we didn't win, we didn't go out. And it was a good kind of like professional principle with this group that we had. And so, uh, you know, as we won more, we started to go out more and the group started to get bigger and bigger and bigger until we had, you know, 15 person dance parties in the streets of Denver, Colorado. And we show up in a nightclub and we we were kicking the Denver Broncos off of their table because our group is so big. And and, you know, we have guys that didn't even come in with us that are coming from all directions, meeting us to these places. It was just, you know, the, the, the partying and stuff was, was, a, was a small part of it, but it was more of the camaraderie and the essence of the group that, that really brought us together. And, and it made things really special for us that year. And, and because we had young players that were, again, earning good livings, we were able to bring all the young players into everything and bring the whole group into everything. And then on the field, we, we played really, really well um, and David Ferrer was obviously lights out that year and and by far the best player in the league. And, you know, went on a run to the final. I ended up getting, I ended up getting injured while I was suspended for the last game of the season, got injured and actually had to sit on the bench, uh, not on the bench for the final. I, I sort of semi-passed my, my physical, but, uh, Shellis was a very superstitious person. Didn't want to change. Didn't want to give me my old roommate back on the road because they were winning in playoffs and that sort of thing. And then, Left me off the off the roster uh, for the game day of MLS Cup, but yeah, it was it was just a group of players that each other held each other to a higher standard and 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 also really enjoyed getting together. Whether it was a party at my house or a barbecue at my house, or it was a night out in the city, that sort of thing. We were just always together, uh, which was very unique for the time um, uh, of of the league and the limo thing happened because of the fact that we were out, you know, if you do the math of how many times we got points that year, we were out quite a bit. Um, a real fear of, for me of, uh, I was hearing rumors of players, uh, not making the best decisions at in the night, you know, whether it was, you know, having a couple drinks and driving to other rumors that I was hearing. And I was like, this is a problem. Uh, or you know, uh, I'm fear this is a problem uh, because you know the, the the method we were using of of enjoying ourselves out quickly gets abused, right? If if you're not careful. So I was like, what's the solution that we can have where we can make sure the rookies are coming out with us? So Rex and I came up with an idea where it's like, let's get an old limo and we'll bring this way we can have rookies or young players rotate who's going to drive the limo into the city uh, and make sure that we can scoop up everybody, bring them back out, and they can get a taxi from. Frisco, right out in the suburbs. So if we're going into Dallas, come back out and people can get taxis home from a single location. No one's tempted to drive and that sort of thing. Uh, And it allowed us to bring the rookies in with us. They just have to, you know, they never had to pay for anything, but once in a while they might have to drive a limo into the city and wear a a a, limo driver hat and that sort of thing. And then I ended up, so we found one in North Dakota. It was like six grand, like eighties limousine with a boomerang uh, antenna on it, like a crushed kind of velvet interior. It was awesome. It was like six grand, and you know, kind of a pearl white color, but like old school limousine, you yeah. know, and that's what we wanted. And we ended up getting traded as soon as we were really in the process of like, let's get this and bring it out here. Uh we had plenty of space to keep it. Um, you know, we already had guys who were willing to keep it in their in their neighborhood and that sort of thing. Uh, but it ended up not happening, uh, unfortunately. I left I left, Dax left, and you know, they you know, unfortunately, and and one of the biggest regrets that 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 I have, even though I didn't have control of it, is that that team had the capability of being really good for a really long time. And Shellis thought he could do more with less and started dismantling that and tinkering with it. And they had a good year the next year and the year after that. But uh, that group to me was a a really special group that, that kind of fell apart after that year.
2: I think that was the, that was the year that everybody thought Dallas was, was up and coming that that was going to be the team to beat for the next, you know, three, four years because it would have mirrored, in essence what DC United had done when they came into the league, when they were winning and, and putting those games off with Echeverry and Jaime Moreno, you guys had the same chemistry, the same outlook on everything. So it was disappointing for sure. Um, I, I can only imagine what it was like for you to, to get traded and we'll kind of get into that.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was frustrating to get traded, but you could feel once Dax was on his way out and, and we understood Dax's thing because, uh, Um, Eric Alexander had come into the team and Dax had suffered like a quad injury at some point and Eric Alexander stepped up and he was, he was playing really, really well. I mean, the amount of times we were in those games down a goal or, or tied in the 90th minute that we came out with uh, a point instead of none, and there were three instead of one uh, happened over and over again. So we had a lot of people that could contribute, but it just, it, it felt different the next year going through preseason and all that. It just felt very different. And Chellis is very much the kind of coach where you're either in in or you're out. And when you're out, you're very aware that you're out. There's no kind of like, I don't know where I stand. And I could kind of feel that after I'd taken that injury, a hamstring injury, that I was no longer in sort of his trust tree. He actually used to use the word trust tree. Um, But uh, yeah, and then ended up getting traded in a very bizarre sort of way uh, where they pulled me out of training one day and put their arms around me. It was him and they hired a guy, Barry Gorman who was Shellis had known for a long time and walked me into the, to the locker room and, and was like, Oh, don't worry. You're not in trouble. And I'm like, cool. Kind of, you know, you kind of relax at that point. I was like, why would you say that? They're like arms around me and they walk me and they sit me down. They start to, you know, he over the off season. There was quite a few offers for you that we turned down because we want to keep you. And, and, and I'm thinking like, okay, these guys are teeing me up to tell me that, like, you know, that, that, they've turned down an opportunity that I might've been excited about or whatever. And they're going down this like two, three minute long story of like how this team came and they turned it down. This team came and they turned it down. And finally they were like, and then uh, Chivas came in and, and uh, you know, we, we are considering accepting an offer for you. Uh, and then when, when Shella said, or I don't remember which one said it, Barry or, or Shella said it, the other one was like, no, actually, we've, that's not true. We've taken an offer for you. You've been traded. And it was like this good cop, bad cop thing. And I was like, this is wild. So the first thing I did is I go to my phone and I tweet out and traded to Chivas USA. And I remember, that tweet. Went, I remember that tweet. I remember that tweet like, on me. The club went crazy on me. And they were like, that's selfish. You were blah, blah, blah. You only think about it. I'm like, you've literally just sent me to a new city and told me I no longer live here. And you think it's selfish for me to put it out there because the league came down on them because they didn't have a statement ready to go out and, you know, that sort of thing. And so I remember it just being a whirlwind where I just came out, back out to the field. We were playing a, a scrimmage game against somebody, I, I want to say, from Texas, somewhere like um, El Paso or something. Um, and I remember coming back to just telling the team, like, hey, guys, I'm not uh, – I remember the night before shell is looking at me from a distance and the trainer looking at me from a distance from over the fence of just thinking like that. They're definitely looking at me. This is weird. And the next day I trained with the youth players where I wasn't in the group. They're like, Oh, we're going to rest you. And, uh, and this is when, uh, Oscar Freja was coming up. So I was like kind of excited. I was like, Oh, I get to go work with Oscar Freja for a couple hours with the young guys, you know, and this is great. And, uh, then I got traded and I was like, okay. So I went out and told him. And, and then within a few hours I was, in California, oh, I was in Arizona, um, where the team was in preseason. Uh, Chivas was.
1: So, so speaking of uh, Chivas, you know, here on the show, we we've mentioned them as being probably one of MLS's probably biggest mistakes ever, and I think it's probably shined even more after now we've seen LAFC how successful they've been, and you know, they've just been around for like three years. Uh, was it a train wreck when you got there, especially considering that, like? two years after you got there they were pretty much done with uh
0: yeah it was it it was a train wreck in a lot of ways you know the way that robin frazier and greg Vanny ran the team was very professional so they you know robin frazier was the head coach great head coach my first meeting with him i was like i really like this guy this guy gets it he wants to play good good football he wants to play good soccer and good style of play um but at that point, the club had alienated a lot of the fans, you know, they were, it was already going to be a difficult lift of, of being, uh, if you're a Chivas fan, you'll just watch Chivas. Uh, if you're not a Chivas fan, you know, it's pretty tribal in Mexico. Like, you're not going to just be like, okay, I'll just go watch Chivas USA. <laughs> like it was, it was at the time it made sense because we needed more teams in the league and it was a, a good idea in theory. Um, but you know, it was one of those things where, uh, they, they ran it the best that we could you're always in the shadow of LA galaxy. When you're there, you have the smaller facilities, you have one single field, they have multiple fields. You're, you're kind of, you, you, feel lesser every single day that you go in, you feel lesser than the galaxy. And that's a real thing. It's a real feeling that you have. And so it was, it, it, because that was still an issue. Um, this was before some of the major, major issues that happened after I left that were, you know, lawsuits, discrimination, all those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it it, it lacked a connection to the fans. There were some loyal fans that have now kind of uh, saddled up with LAFC and kind of, we, we used to have conversations about like, Hey, Let's call it uh, Club Club Deportivo Los Angeles and move it downtown and put it Raid, Raiders colors and you know make it like um, when when um, Vancouver first came into the league where they had that modular stadium in Vancouver before their stadium was done. Like let's just put that somewhere, let the fans go crazy tailgate. Let's pay the fines when they light flares and fires. Like let's let's be the bad boys of the league. We used to have those conversations uh, while we were there with with some of the upper management and things like that, and there was always that dream, but you could tell it was just. You know, there was ownership group that was never around. You, you know, you didn't actually know who owned the club. You never met anyone like that. You never met anyone. You had sort of the point people from Mexico that would be in town occasionally. But it just felt like it was a business that somebody owned um, from far away. And so there was a lot of things that were wrong with it. But the first season I was there on the field, we had, we, we were, you could tell we were close to something. And uh, didn't end up getting the signings and players that we needed in the second year that would have made us a playoff contender, but we played really good style of play. We built up out of everything. We were missing a real potent goal scorer, but it was still one of those uh, things where I, I still remember it being some of my favorite. I started playing center back. So bias a uh, b- bit biased on on the style of play. Cause everything built up through me, which I liked having the ball all the time. Um, but it was, it was, you know, you could sell the tell on the field, there was something in the making and then it, it all sort of started to fall apart there as well.
2: Yeah, but hey, playing center back and having the having the game kind of come through you, it's it's always nice, right? Step up in the midfield and... and...
0: Oh yeah, it was nice. You used to drive into the midfield, take the first line of pressure. Nick LaBrucca had a great, uh, was an all-star that year. And so he was kind of a, he was a known commodity in the league because he'd been around a long time, but he wasn't, you know, that year after that is when people started to target him as like, okay, keep an eye on him everywhere. And his game had to make adjustments. And, and I don't think he was able to get to that level. But when he was sort of a, a mystery... He had a really good year of being able to find really good pockets on the field and really set up and, and dictate our, 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 play. Simon Elliott, who who you guys know um, was our six. And again, uh, kind of a, a guy who could control the tempo all the time, a guy who you always had an outlet to. And again, we had, it had these makings of we could get it into the box. We just couldn't score a ton of goals. Um, and we ended up signing Juan Pablo Angel uh, who was sort of past his best days. And, and obviously we all hoped that it was the Juan Pablo that, that, uh, that, uh, New York had, but we knew that if the galaxy was willing to part ways, he probably, uh, wasn't. Um, and we just never really had the, the, the players that, that we had, uh, hoped for to really round out that roster. Second year, we signed a bunch of guys and sort of missed the mark. And then I ended up getting traded.
2: Is it true that there's a special rule in MLS for the galaxy that they get all the, all the players they want, they just have to play like they don't get them.
0: I don't know. There's, there's so many rumors and mechanisms. Like I even, and again, I don't know if this is factually correct. I was told by somebody in the sporting division at the New York Red Bulls that I was forced into a trade because Juan Agudelo, the league wanted to give him a a DP deal, right? And he wasn't starting on the New York Red Bulls. So they went in to Hans Baca. They said, Hey, we want to give him this DP deal million a year, whatever it was. Um, And Hans Buck was like, he doesn't even start in my team. How am I going to like work that out? Right. So they're like, okay, then you have to trade him. They told me that they went after Jeff Cameron. They're like, you can have who you want within reason. So they went after Jeff Cameron, Jeff Cameron. I think that uh, Houston was like, no chance. That's not going to happen. They were, I think, obviously planning to sell him. They were like, and then Hans Buck was like, we'll take Keith Pierce. And they're like, done. This is how I've heard the story from somebody. And this could be completely wrong, uh, that the league, then somebody, was eating up my salary that I was costing league minimum against, against um, the salary cap and the rest of my salary. I don't know where it went. This could complete, complete lie. I don't know where to track down the information if that's true, but that's what I was told by somebody in the sporting division of how the deal went down because Chivas was supposed to sign and, or trade and sign Aguadelo to a big deal, which ended up not happening. Um, But yeah, that's how I had heard it. So there, I know that there's, you know, there's always some sort of rumors and things like that of of, of how money moves within the league and, and, and when you're a single entity and stuff like that. And I've been told that the galaxy, outside of you know, endorsements of team sponsors and things like that, that that they've they've, I've heard from people saying that they found ways to 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 have to get the. The money and DPs they need. And I've found other ways that they've been really creative in how they move money that have actually followed the the, the rules of the league. So I don't know what the answer is, but it's probably somewhere in the middle.
2: It's that herbal life, um, you know, pyramid scheme, right? Everybody gets a cut of it. The galaxy gets the biggest.
0: Yeah. I would, I would, I would assume that I would assume that, uh, Omar Gonzalez I heard was one that was on like, you know, herbal life money. Um, I'm sure David Beckham was probably on a lot of herbal life money. But um, that's, that's, you know, that was th- through the generations of the league, there was number of ways that you could supplement uh, salaries with, with players, both probably on the books and off the books that exist probably in every league everywhere. But I don't have any uh, hard, uh, cold, hard evidence to, to support even my own, my own trades are a mystery to me. So I, I don't know.
1: So the, speaking of the Red Bull, uh, what was it like for you to, to play with uh, Terry Henry? And yeah, I said Henry Danny uh was it we're also wondering uh, besides that too um was it true or false that he was a diva or is it just a myth it really depends on on how you
0: how you would define diva right uh he had a standard that all of us didn't come from so in that sense uh you could quickly probably get to the word diva Uh, but he was there was a bunch of us that he was really, really cool to. He had a he had a, a standard and a demand from the players around him that they were never going to achieve in terms of quality or talent. But he did also, uh, you know, there were times that he had meltdowns in training and left. And there were times that he'd kick a ball over a fence and 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 leave. And there was other times that you'd have, you know, beats by Dre headphones waiting for you in the locker room. Um, but, you know, he, it, it, I can truly empathize with somebody who had spent you know, most of his career being one of the best players in the world, having to come to a team that was training at Montclair state and had locker rooms that were less than, you know, uh, professional, uh, you know, a quality of player that probably wasn't the same as what he was used to. Definitely wasn't the same that he was used to Barcelona and, 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 Arsenal, uh, not to excuse some of that behavior. So I would say that he definitely had some of that, not diva in him, but definitely a standard that that makes him. I, I try to equate him to the people that have, you know, when you go down that route, and so not to go down the, the the Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant route, but you know, that mentality of either you're with me or you're not, and a lack of understanding for anybody who or patience of anybody who didn't want to be the best ever, right? And you know, we have some guys that were just happy to be professionals, you know, guys who were like I I've I've definitely kind of, you know, out kicked my outkicked the coverage here. I'm a pro. This is great. I just want to make it last as long as I can. Um, but didn't have that drive to be like, now that I'm a pro, I'm gonna be the best player ever. He had a lack of understanding and patience for that, for sure. Um, uh, which made it hard at times for him to understand a different culture of soccer in the US, a different culture of people in the U S and, and that some people were just cool to be professional soccer players, you know, um, and did the best that they felt they could, but didn't necessarily have the bar set at being the best in the world. Uh, and there's a distinct difference between that within your drive and the way that you approach the game and all those types of things. So, uh, there was, there was certain elements of that, but he was an unbelievable player. You know, we used to play two touch after training and I, I probably played him 500 times and lost 499. um, Time. you gotta so, win gotta win yeah yeah i got that that's how i remember it because once i got that win i was like i'm never playing you again um and, but he was uh just uh you know a different a different you know from a different planet in terms of his quality and his ability um obviously his best days again were probably before he got to mls but you could just see magic at times that yeah. you're just like, that's not something you can teach or coach and yeah he's he, he worked as hard as he did to get to his level but you're just like that's i can't even imagine doing some of the things that he could do
2: well in 2014 you headed up uh, north of the border to montreal and won a canadian cup your your first championship uh in club soccer at that point um what was that experience like for you up uh, up north
0: um it was interesting uh is how i put it Mid, midway through the season, 2013, I had a hip surgery, kind of saw the season at, 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 New York Red Bulls. They were going to go in a different direction, kind of found myself figuring out like, what do I do? Do I go back to Europe? I, I need a good season to feel good again. Uh, ended up signing with Montreal in, in a year that they were sort of moving away from the, the, the Nesta era and Frank Klopas came in, had a good relationship with him for the most part during that season, but just a lack of, uh, leadership clear leadership there that year, uh, was just a bit of a struggle, uh, to be honest with you, my main goal. And I, the Montreal fans are fantastic and I really enjoyed the city while I was there, but my main goal was like, show I can still play, have a healthy season, you know, get my body back up to, 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 to the level that I want, kind of get the injury behind me Were like the main goals of like signing a one-year contract up there, you know, I was only in Montreal itself for like six months, seven months, because you do the whole preseason away. March starts and then you don't make the playoffs is in October. So I don't know how many months that is, but it wasn't a lot. Um, But actually it had gotten to the end of that season of being like, okay, I feel good again. We're, you know, I was talking to Frank Klobos about a new deal and then all of a sudden was left uh, exposed uh, for the expansion draft and, you know, uh, at that point I was in Las Vegas for our, our players union meetings. And my agent was like, Hey, this is what the deal in theory is going to look like. If they take you, would you, would you, would you go? And I said, absolutely. The deal was in the terms were great. Orlando seemed like a great place. I was really excited about it. Uh, they took me in the expansion draft and then went silent for a month and the deal ended up being basically the mandatory minimum improvement of my one year deal in, in Montreal which was at that point had been like a 70% pay cut from where I was before. And it was a proof of concept year, right? It was like, get my health back, sign a one year deal, be free to move that sort of thing. Um, and they ended up, you know, being, it was like less than half of what we had negotiated, um, for, for a deal. So I was like, that's not what I thought. And they went silent for a month. So it's like three, four days before preseason starts. And now this is what the deal is the offer is. And I was like, it's not happening. So I ended up, um taking a deal to go to gothenburg where i was like you know what i want to go back to europe really test myself can i get back to the national team level and it wasn't so much about whether i got called up or not it was about if i could get back to that where i know you know injuries are in the back of my mind i'm not or not in my mind at all they're sort of behind me i'm not hesitating to anything i'm just playing naturally and playing at my best level uh and just couldn't get to that when i was in, in sweden so i was in gothenburg that season ended up not signing with with orlando and uh played it out and then that, at that point got through the season there where we won the swedish cup and and from there i was like okay what do i do you know do i take a money grab option somewhere you know go to asia do i go continue to try to drive my career forward or do i want to move into the media side of things and that was where i was like okay i need to start looking at this as a business opportunity where it's like where am i going to be in five years right if i go to belgium for a year or two and then end up in Thailand or wherever I might end up around the world. Is that going to significantly set me up financially for the future? Yes or no. Um, is it going to increase my, the quality of my resume? Yes or no, in terms of like job perspectives, whether it's front office or it's whatever I end up doing, um, yes or no. Or, or is this media side an opportunity where I can move into this, you know, and in five years from now have the playing career that I had and in the resume of a post-career, a five years experience, is that going to team me up for success? And so I kind of just took the leap of faith of being like, you know what? I don't want to be uh, the the guy who wakes up and is done playing soccer because the game has denied me the opportunity anymore. Right? Like it just doesn't want me anymore. Uh, you know? Uh, or do I want to sort of carve my own path? And 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 I ended up trying it and liking it and hadn't haven't looked back since.
2: Uh, media media is a different game, right? You get to talk about the accolades. You get to talk about what the, essentially what we remember from our playing days and and enjoying it i you know it's it's nice it's definitely different as a teacher this is kind of like the opportunity to sit back and talk about the game i love so i totally understand
0: yeah now you
2: you are with copa 90 does copa 90 have any affiliation with the copa centers that are being built i know there's one in walnut creek california that was recently built or is that a different entity
0: Oh, that's an, that's a different entity. Um, Copa 90 who I'm, I'm no longer, I'm not with Copa 90 anymore. I left Copa 90 in November of of last year and launched a new project with, uh, the backing of Richie Graham, who's one of the owners of Philadelphia union, um, called Four soccer ventures, where we have two platforms, the, the soccer collective and the soccer Alliance soccer collective, focusing on, on, um, Driving sustained relevance of the sport through media products, so it's an acquisition strategy through, um, uh, you know, everything from agencies to content channels to we're we're launching a podcast network where we're trying to basically take a lot of these podcasts, pool them together because we know that this is the way to professionalize them. So what ends up happening is people do a podcast after one two years, life happens, they're so like, I got better things to do, um, and that audience leaves with them, right? And that audience is really important for the growth of the sport, and so we want to try to pull a lot of these podcasts together to be able to represent them in the marketplace to professionalize them, help to drive a revenue into these podcasts where we can prop them up and increase that pool of, of fans and, and, and opportunities in the soccer space. And that's across the board from, from other things that we're doing. And then on the Alliance side is, is again, a strategic look at um, uh, how we can improve the soccer experience in, in North America for uh, at the youth level. So that's an, a strategic investment in uh, clubs, leagues, tournaments, and programs on the youth side with the idea of, of uh, trying to improve the experience, right? For the, for the parent and for the player, so that uh, one of the main reasons is that when kids leave the game at 12 or at 14, that they still love the game when they leave, right? Uh, instead of us having to go and find the people who live in an MLS or USL market, uh, or go and find somebody who studied abroad and fell in love with the game, like how do you increase that pool? Well, if it's the largest, most, uh, most participated sport at the youth level, What's happening along the way that's making them fall out of love with the game, right? And a lot of that is accessibility, affordability. It's the parents falling out of love with the game for a number of those reasons. It's the players not having enough programming because if they don't make the A team, what's the next thing that they can go to that's affordable that makes them love the game? What's the culture that they're building around all that so that they stay fans of the game? And so that's a major focus for us on, on the Alliance side through through our uh, investment activity. So, yeah, Copa 90 is not affiliated with uh, Copa STC, that's an independent. That's a guy Mark Hall. He actually has the the, the rights to USL East Bay uh, to make a, a USL team in the East Bay in in Concord. Um, but, yep. Um, and and so the that's just an independent um, independent thing of Copa90. And Copa90 is now based primarily uh, in in London um, and no longer really has uh, the the numbers that it had in the U.S.
1: So you know, recently we got an announcement that we'd been waiting all of quarantine, which you know we're still going through that, but. Uh, MLS coming back with an exciting tournament in Orlando with the MLS's back tournament. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Look,
0: I think it's a creative approach. I think there is a need to satisfy a number of things at the league level, right? You have a number of sponsors that you have to satisfy, uh, you have uh, a number of rights holders you need to satisfy. And you have a number of fans that have a increased appetite for soccer right now, and the idea that in a short period of time you can get that many games in uh, in a single location, I think is, is is pretty cool. and And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It'll be interesting to see what technologies they, they say that they're rolling out for this, the the type of access, and all those things. It could be a new way to look at to, to look at things. It's obviously less than ideal than being able to travel uh, when i'm in la to a, a a galaxy game or go see an lafc game but and, and for those local fan bases but it's certainly better than 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 they're not being anything on so it'll be i'm really excited about it um to, to see kind of what the what the product is
2: Nice, yeah. we're you know we we follow the mls the usl which is supposed to be starting soon and, and the nwsl which has the same idea just did it earlier without the opportunity or threat of a strike so we're really excited to see soccer, um, and hopefully it, it comes comes sooner rather than later. And it looks good.
0: Yeah, we're excited about the uh, NWSL. They're the first ones back, so um, they, it'll be you know I think it's a great opportunity for NWSL as well to to get the exposure that they need with uh, with CBS. I think it's a great chance to increase their outreach and their awareness, being 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 the first ones, and also to show that it's an entertaining product and and to be sort of the the, the pace setters again for the rest of the the, the women's
2: leagues around the world. That'd be great to see. And hopefully MLB doesn't get their heads together and MLS and the league NPSL can shine. So um, question regarding, one of our uh, sponsors is Reboot. Their job is to provide empathy, leadership, and community through uh, boot drives. So in my garage, I have 200 pairs of boots that we're going to be giving to Street Soccer USA here in the next few weeks. Uh, Sacramento, uh, Street Soccer Sacramento is, opened up a new facility and they're going to be having a lot of youth programs of about 400 kids involved, which will be cool. But, um, we all have that moment in life that we have to start over. We have to correct ourselves like, like a golf mulligan, essentially. Can you share the moment in your career or your academic life, um, or even your personal life that you had to have a reboot?
0: Yeah, man, I could, I could give you thousands of reboots. Um, no, honestly, I I would probably say that, generally speaking within my career, not just a single moment, I I I I wished a, a reboot that I would have been able to have is just patience within my career, right? Every time that I didn't play a game or start in a game during my career, I saw the end of my career and the way that the, the, the peak of my career was affected by a single game. And I let it consume me at times where Um, I should have learned to just let go of what I can't control and, and control what I can, uh, from an academic standpoint, I I wish that I would have finished my last semester at Portland, uh, because I was impossible to get into any, any schools again, uh, because I, I ended up leaving and, and failing out of all the classes and, and whatever. And it killed my grade point average and anywhere I wanted to go to school again. Uh, it was just it was, it was bad, but you know, I was focused on, on, on becoming a professional and that was the sacrifice I had to make. That was definitely an academic one where as I, my career ended and I was like, you know what, I want to finish school. They were like, well, here's the thing, you know, your, your, your grades were terrible that last semester. And therefore you have to pay for a year to get your grades up, to get into the business school and all those types of things that the, 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 um, online education system was, was, was doing to me. I ended up going back to SNHU through their partnership with MLS, but uh, Southern New Hampshire University. But there was uh you know that was definitely a, a regret of mine of just being like, why didn't I just finish the test and finish out the semester? I was there, you know, like I could have just done it. Uh but you know, again at the time I was like, I need to get to Europe. I need to start my career and whatever. But you look back and you're like, yeah, that probably would have been uh probably would have been smart.
1: Yeah. Well luckily you were still able to to go back and and you know I'm glad that that, that still worked out. Yeah I was I was I was I was happy to be able to
0: you know, this was again, one of the things when I moved to Europe, I was like, I need to keep the education process alive. So I focused on learning languages while I was there. And, you know, now I speak Spanish, I speak German, I speak Portuguese. Um, but I wasn't able to learn to speak Danish. I can understand Danish, but that was just a difficult one because everyone spoke English. So I'd be like, go into a restaurant and try to order. And they'd be like, just tell me what you want, you know, um, in English, uh, which makes it hard. Whereas like, I went to Germany and tried to do the same thing in Germany with like English. And they were like, no, learn German. Um, and so, uh, you know, I did that, but I always made a promise to myself that I wanted to, I wanted to get my degree. And so I was glad that I was able to, to do that. And I feel a lot more confident, I guess, in my post career, knowing that I have, a, um, I was able to, to go back and do that one from, from a standpoint of, you know, I was a parent and working full time and going to school full time. It was a challenge. It was a challenge that I overcame. I think that was a, a great growing moment for me, but two, just to have that, you know, achieve a goal that you set. Back and life took you in a different direction. Um, that to be able to get back to that was 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 something that I think that I've I've grown a lot from.
1: So it's time for our uh, favorite segment here on the show, our uh, rapid fire segment. So let me explain to you how this is going to work. Um, we're going to be asking you five questions. You can only skip one, and you won't know what's next until you actually answer the question. So, are you ready for this?
0: Oh man,
1: yeah. <laughs> so. All right, so before we get started, uh today's rapid fire is brought to you by New Glory Beer. Check them out online at newglorybeer.com or visit one of their locations in Sacramento or Granite Bay today for some great beer and awesome dishes. So first question here is what team do you find yourself supporting now that soccer is back?
0: Oh man. Now that soccer's back, I mean I'm I don't even know, to be honest with you. I don't really I, I I'm just excited it's back and and uh gosh what's it what's a good answer for now that soccer's back i i don't know i don't know who i I haven't supported soccer yeah i'm just like i'm I'm trying to not be spoiled you know i'm just happy that soccer's back but yeah i i actually haven't gone down a a single route um since soccer started to come back you know if if this were in in two weeks from now i might i might feel differently when you know kind of a lot more leagues are happening around the world but right now i'm just kind of like excited that there's just things to watch and it's live
2: i found myself having to actually pick between the blowout of arsenal and man city and the penalty kicks uh that juventus and napoli went through today which is a first oh, right a final, huh? yeah
0: yeah it's, it was it's, great it, it's it's crazy and it's almost like having to re- retrain yourself to to pay attention again because there's been a lot of games today and i was i'm in a like a bundesliga pool and I so I've been focusing on that and completely forgot that like Premier League's back and you know the Italian Cup final and all those kinds of things it's like you have to retrain to get back in the habit of like you know soccer's always on type of thing
2: yeah definitely is unless you're VAR and you're still you're still not back so we'll figure that out later right (laughs)
0: they're they're still furloughed
2: (laughs) most embarrassing soccer moment
0: oh man most embarrassing soccer moment Oh, God. i mean it's 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 embarrassing, but it's also it, you know it 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 feels me full of rage every time I think about it uh, the day after I was let go from uh the thirty the group of thirty that got kind of whittled down to twenty three for the twenty ten world cup I flew to Chicago and I was all over the place mentally so the, so coaches like you know sit on the bench, you know take it easy first uh, half time or like start of the first half or start of, i mean middle of the first half or started second half, I go and warm up and in Chicago, behind one of the goals is like a low, low bleacher stand, and you know there wasn't a ton of people there. And this group, couple guys, are just chanting "US reject" uh, at me over and over and over again. And like this is the day after the roster has been selected for the World Cup, and I remember it's the closest I've ever come to being like, I am going to Eric Cantona, this guy, I'm going to jump over this board and two foot him in the chest and you know it's just like the times that i was at chivas like when somebody yells something derogatory at you in those types of stadiums that aren't full it's like a laser you know exactly who said it you know it's not like these a lot of these stadiums now where it's like this giant buzz in mls and you can't hear anything and like you can scream whatever you want you don't know who's saying it right unless you're close like i could be in some of those stadiums i could see some far away and i was like that guy and he's saying it and i'm about to jump over and and punch him in the throat and i ended up not doing it but i was like I remember that as one of my memories of being like, man, if I could do it all over again, I might punch that guy in the face.
1: So growing up, uh, what player did you watch and try to build yourself after? The
0: first player I really watched was Roberto Carlos. That's who I really liked. He sort of, at least for me, and you have Cafu and stuff. But on the left side, a guy who was very attack minded, as I became kind of through my teen years, uh, very attack minded. Change the way that you approach the game as as left fullback, right? Um, you're sort of the first line of attack. Comfortable on the ball, lots of goals, lots of assists. Just I saw that as like an opportunity of like, okay, I really like um, this, and I, and I tried to emulate him a lot and and get up and back a lot as I started to play um, uh, left fullback. So that was probably the guy that I, I I tried to 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 be most, and then and then R nine Ronaldo was the other one that I was just like. You know, this is like early, early, early YouTube when it first started. You could little mixtapes where he would just kill four or five guys on the ball, and uh, that was just to me was like amazing. You know, this is right around the time where like Brazil um,
2: those Nike commercials.
0: Uh, airport commercials came out, and all those types of things.
2: Those uh, were the that, best.
0: Yeah, sorry. This, I know this is rapid fire. I'm not very good at it.
2: No, it's okay. It's okay. It's it's nice to I. Everybody always says Ronaldo, and I have to double check and make sure. They meant the original Ronaldo, the real Ronaldo. Yeah, that's so good. I
0: don't have. to really that really time, they do. i decided I won't call him Fat Ronaldo anymore because ah. I just I I've i <laughs> fallen in love with him all over again from from just getting online and seeing his his highlights, and I'm just like I need to just call him R nine and, and, and leave it at that.
2: Call him what he was.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, you played a lot of soccer throughout the world, but uh, who is the one pundit that you wish would just go find a new job?
0: Oh gosh. Oh man. Um, I mean, most of the ones from my era had to find new jobs, you know? Um, I, it's tough. To, it's tough to say, Oh, you guys are putting me on the front under the spot here. This is good. Uh, this is a good question. Um, man, um, of all my time, somebody that would have to go find a new job
2: even if they did, but who was the one, like when you were in the league or where you were playing, like you were like, probably, I just I'm need probably, you to go.
0: Yeah. Probably John Harks was the guy that, that I thought was like really mean to our national team uh, at the time. And so I don't remember him saying anything really bad about me, but you know, you, 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 you could, you'd be amazed at what your mind's capable of like blocking out, you know, when you uh, from allowing it to get inside of you. So I'm sure it happened. I just probably pushed it off to the side, but he was one that I, I remember of like the first instances of, of, of them always comparing them to the group group and how their group was better and different and whatever uh, type of thing. And, and I remember being like, man, there's just these like subtle jabs at, at, at our 2010 cycle yeah. and the group that we had were, were you know, I remember them distinctly.
2: He uh, he always still does. I, I I'm sure sits on sits on the pedestal and looks down like this is what you could have done better. This is how we did it. This is how it worked. And oh yeah, the where they him, like, Hey, uh,
0: you know you had 98 caps. And He'd be like, yeah, but that was during a time where it'd be like six caps a year, so it was obviously a lot harder to get to 100. Like downplaying guys getting to 100 caps now, and it's like yeah. that's not the point, you know. That's but of the thing.
2: talent pool at that time too was substantial. It was it was so much less than what it is now. I mean. Now you've got, you know, 17-year-olds in in Germany who are lighting it up. You've got Pulisic. You've got guys who are on the up and up throughout MLS. Jordan Morris, I mean, could have gone to Germany, stayed in Seattle. So there's all those players who have had the opportunity. So, okay, good to know.
1: So you you may have given us already two here, but we'll see. Um, What four players in the history of soccer, would you want to play alongside...
0: Well, I wouldn't want to play alongside Roberto Carlos. Keep him out. That's my spot, you know? Like, he, he can... Um, no, you honestly, converted I, the
2: center back. You converted the center back.
0: That's true. I do like center back more. When I played with on, on, Ante Jazic, you know, we, we we had such a good uh, connection at at, um, at uh, Chivas that it, it, I really, really like playing center back in, in that type of setup. Um, four players that I could play with. Oh, goodness. I would have to say... I would put... Thierry Henry in that box. Um, I would put R nine in that box. I would love to have played with uh, Patrick Vieira, probably a Maldini. Maldini, that would be my that would be my four.
2: Vieira, R nine, Henry, and Maldini. All right, that's that's a solid solid setup there. Um, all right, last call. So we have two last questions for you. Um, Pretty much the, the last two questions are are simple, but the first one, which is our favorite and what our podcast is about, what does community mean to you?
0: Man, community means means everything to me. I think you know, soccer is probably the most welcoming and progressive community, right? And I think the sport of soccer is the best example of community um, as as a, as a, as a, of any sport. Um, that has the people that I think are on the right side of history involved. Uh, I think obviously it's not free of its own problems, but um, I I just think community itself is best defined by, by uh, the game of soccer globally being that a community could be you and your friends playing um, pickup, you know, in, in your backyard to you being a, a supporter of a team that has millions of other people that connect you around the world to just the sport in general which I think is unique to, to the culture in, in, in the U S. So um, community is the, I, I guess would be the the place that where you find your passion, you'll find the people that, that uh, share that passion with you. Um, and, and that's the way that I would best describe community in my mind.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's, that's greatly described. And uh, you know, I've said that same thing before too. Like it's, it's a pretty unique thing that our sport has to offer, you know, that it can unite people from like just all over the world too. Whereas other professional sports can't really claim that as much too. So that, that's yeah, a really, you, really cool thing brought on there. So Heath, uh, can you tell us, how can people keep track of what you're up to?
0: Uh Yeah. So I'm at Heath Pierce on social media platforms. Um, uh, and you can find me doing work with, with four soccer ventures, um, and, and both on the field and off the field would be the two places where I'm spending, uh, the most of my time. And, and hopefully in, in a couple of years time, I'll be doing some broadcast games with Sac Republic, uh, when they're in major league soccer, that would be, uh, uh great, great for me. And, and eventually hopefully they'll find me in, in, in the local communities living in Northern California again, because that's also a big goal of mine, but for now, uh, just find me on social media.
1: Uh, I do have one last question for you uh, here too. Um, If the Republic calls you tomorrow, maybe next month to ask you, can you come with us to retire? Like officially, would you actually take that call and play one more season? Yeah,
0: for sure. I would, I would, I would, I would love to, you know, I, I spend so much time explaining to people the difference between growing up in the Valley and the Bay Area, right? Of like how, at least growing up in Modesto, the difference that you felt when you played youth soccer against Bay Area teams, right? It was like this hatred for like the kids with money. And the Bay Area, the Valley was like just a different, you know, we had so, I I felt we had so much more soccer culture because of just the, the, the multicultural population. But like, you know, I still like all my love is for um, the the central Valley and, and, and all my memories are from like, you know, Fresno up to Sacramento, uh, for the most part. And so, yeah, I would love, I would love to be involved. Uh, sign me up now, man, come back.
2: Awesome. We know you listen to this coach. So if you, if you need a center back or a left back, we know of a guy.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'll (laughs) be able to contribute, but like, you know, I'd be happy to be there, you know, work hard, you know, check all those, uh, you know, leadership boxes, you know?
2: Mascot. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, enjoy the rest of your evening and we will uh, talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks guys. Thank you. Thank Have you. a good one. Today's guest was brought to you by the Makuni Dreamline. Makuni Midtown is open, but if you can't get there, it's still easy to get your favorite dishes using the Makuni app. Please make sure to pre-order. And when you arrive, they will deliver your meal to you in your car. Visit them today at makunisushi.com or download their app available in the app store or Google play.
1: If you're trying to find us on social media, you could find us on any of the three major platforms. On Facebook, we can be found at SacTown FC Podcast for our page. Uh, we also have a group called Sacramento Soccer Fans. Um, we invite you to check that out. Join. Uh, we share anything going on in the soccer community. Um, also, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Both on is at SacTown FC. Uh, We recently did just uh, pass the mark of 400 followers on Twitter. So thank you everyone for uh, following us. And we do have a giveaway that we are planning here shortly for you all. So stay tuned to our Twitter page. You can also find us in
2: the gaming world.
1: Whoa, 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 Luis. Hold on, hold on. All right. Can't forget about our amazing partners,
2: the California Storm and Reboot. The California Storm... Uh, can be found on californiastormsoccer.com. You can find them on Instagram and Twitter at CalStormSoccer and then CaliforniaStorm on Facebook. And also Reboot, you can find them on Twitter and Instagram at YouCanReboot and Reboot.Soccer for their website. You may continue talking about your Fortnite useless
1: uh, video gaming antics that you have. All right. Uh, pretty soon there might be more more games too. I might more games to the collection here, so... You guys can find us on Twitch, Sacktown FC. You'll catch me playing some uh, FIFA 20 lives every now and then uh, against other podcasters, some listeners, uh, former players, p- perhaps maybe in the future too. So if you want to challenge us and be live at the same time, then uh, let us know and we can set something up on Twitch. On Xbox, you can find me under Sacktown FC. I play FIFA 20, sometimes Fortnite, and kind of looking around to see if there's other games that I could probably try and uh, play as well. Um, you can also find us on PlayStation, Sactown underscore FC. John manages that account, and he only plays FIFA 20 as far as I know now. He might be playing a golf game here pretty soon whenever that comes out. August 21st. So. August 21st, 2K PGA comes out. I am
2: stoked. I will, I will be playing that often.
1: Well, there you go, too. It's going to be online, right?
2: Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be online, I'm sure.
1: Okay, cool. So, if all you golfers out there can challenge John there to a game, and maybe we could do that on Twitch too, maybe that, that might be kind of interesting.
2: Yeah, and don't forget, you can find us on our website at sacktownfc.com where you can find the latest and greatest, even past episodes of our show. You can find Seth um, and his articles for Soccer Pulse. You can also find uh, previous and past shows for league Amekis or sacktown Amekis. you can find our sacktown uk and even our newest pod um, show our cup of tea that is um, all about women's soccer in the game and hopefully we can we can grow it from the grassroots and make it more relevant meaningful and build people's knowledge and appreciation for the women's game
1: you guys can also find out more about our uh, new scarves that uh we are currently working on on getting out um they actually should be ready here within the next days as of this recording so if you place your order you should be getting it around july around maybe first second week of july if you place it uh when you hear this when it first comes out um, so please check that out scarves look really cool they're the kind that are the summer style so If you were a part of Tower Bridge Battalion, you might know that material. If you were a season ticket holder for the Republic, then the scarves essentially are similar to that uh, material, that lighter material fabric. So good scarves, especially for, for the summer. This podcast is powered by Reboot. Reboot is a nonprofit organization whose sole purpose is to help more kids play soccer while creating opportunities to practice generosity, empathy, and leadership. Check them out today at Reboot.Soccer, where you can find out more ways to be a part of the program and help Reboot your community today. That's all we have for today's
2: episode. A special thanks to Heath Pierce uh, for taking the time to join us and and converse about his career. And a special thanks to you, the listener. Make sure to subscribe and give us some positive comments and check out our previous episodes at SacktownFC.com. Until next time... Have a great evening and cheers, everyone.
1: Thank you, everyone. Have a great day.